I'm going to feel bad in this rumination because I don't have a lot to say about this episode. You know, usually episodes give me a topic or two. I actually find it funny every time I sit down. I think about, you know, whether it's Star Trek or when I'm doing one of the movies or games for Fridays. It's not like I sit down like, okay, I'm going to talk about these things. Or I want to talk about for this period of time. I just sit and take notes on anything that catches my interest. Anything I feel is worthy of discussion as we're going through it. This is a really, really good episode. But as history has told me, I don't always have a lot to say about really, really good episodes. It was one of the biggest problems I had going through Babylon 5. There were so many excellent episodes where I was just like, well, this is a great episode, the end, you know, it's 20-minute rumination. So, I mentioned that obviously this is an excellent episode. In fact, this is, I'd say, one step away from a flawless episode. It has one flaw. In the whole episode. And I'll be pointing it out when we go to it. And it's a flaw that aggravates the crap out of me. But what I find most interesting about this episode personally is that it manages to step over most of the typical hurdles for this type of episode. Too often, fiction in general, and science fiction in particular, will do the thing where it was all a dream, you know, or it was all an alternate future, or, you know, whatever. It's a very common thing. In fact, uh, as I've been covering the TNG stuff for these couple of months I've been working on these last few weeks, I have had two separate TNG episodes like that. Remember Me and Future Imperfect, but, you know, right after each other, basically. So it's not like it's an uncommon thing. But what usually happens is that it was all a dream and then everything's just reset back to zero. Like, to use a direct example, Year of Hell over on Voyager, where no one really knows or remembers that any of that happened, right? Now... That aggravates the crap out of me. What I tend to like more is, well, to put it bluntly, continuity. I like more when it matters. It may have just been a dream or an alternate dimension or a bucket reality or a holodeck recreation or whatever. But if it matters, if it has some impact going forward, then that is the kind of thing that I enjoy. And this episode does that because the Cisco we see throughout the course of this episode does in fact remember all of the events of this episode when the episode terminates. Thus, these events do matter. And Cisco now has this new insight and appreciation to things, such that it's, it, I like to think personally, especially since this is Deep Frickin' Space Nine, that Cisco never forgot about these events. You know what I mean? that going forward he would understand not only his impact on the world in general and how lucky he was to be able to get a second chance, but to take care of his son and to, to be there for his son even more than he already was, to really try to be the father that his, his other son never got to have. The episode is also almost expertly crafted in its cruelty. You see, there's this wonderful bit where or Jake... It's hard to call Tony Todd that, but Jake is talking to um, Melanie, that's her name, uh, you know, Garrick's daughter, and um, he's talking to Melanie, and he says, you know, well, you know, when people die, you get over it over a while, and she says, did that happen to you? And he says, no, but what's interesting is that's not quite true. It is an unfortunate or fortunate, depending on how you look at it aspect of human psychology that loss and pain eventually fade into well something different you know what i mean i've actually lost 
a lot of people in my life. And it's not something you think about every day, right? It's not something that just, it's like, hey, you know, this happened. Oh, man, it's not an everyday aspect of your existence. But just like right now, I'm actually already tearing up a little bit. This episode, I'm not even, I'm not even ashamed of it. I actually started crying three times in this episode. Jesus Christ. Um, but when you start to think about it and you start to remember, it's a slightly different type of grief, isn't it? Like it, it takes on another dimension. Because it's not like you don't still miss them, but it's no longer this overwhelming, you can't deal with it emotion. Instead, it's just sort of this dull ache that just kind of suffuses your entire being, right? So, we do kind of get over things. But thanks to the unique composition of this episode, Jake never got to. Imagine if, I mean... I hope most of you don't know what I mean. Really, I, I do. But for those of you who have lost someone, especially years ago, I imagine, like, like just picture all of a sudden you're walking down the street and they just pop up like, hello? What's going on here? And then they vanish again. And you're just like, huh? And then a few months pass. And then they pop in again. And then a few years pass. And then they pop in again, right? I mean, the point being, Jake never got the opportunity to acclimate to his father's death because of two very important reasons. One, his father never died, and two, he kept coming back. I am reminded of something that Guinan mentioned and that I speculated on over in Best of Both Worlds, which I'm not sure when that goes live uh, relative to this episode. I, th I could just look really quick here. I've got my calendar right here because it's kind of relevant. Where are we at? Where are we at? Nope, that's in June. We're, we're, we're before June, right? God, I don't know. There's your car, and there's the visitor. Oh my god, we're actually, we actually covered the best of both worlds yesterday. However, next week, we'll cover best of both worlds part two. And that's the important one, because in that episode, obviously I've already recorded my rumination on that, in that episode, Guinan talks about what it was like. It was worse. The Borg didn't kill Picard. They took him piece by piece. And... We as sentient beings, it's so much more difficult for us to grieve for someone who isn't really lost. To properly grieve, I should clarify. And fiction and science fiction are in a unique position to kind of address that, but that still exists in real life. I lost my great-grandmother a lot earlier than she died because she had Alzheimer's, very severe case. I actually still have distinct memories of visiting her. She's, she actually helped me to get interested in several things in my life, including music and history. I, I will never forget the second to last time I ever saw her when she had no idea who I was. Keep in mind, I had been a part of her life for several years at that point. It's not like I was a baby or anything. You know, this, <laughs> I was old enough to comprehend the fact that she was incapable of comprehending me. I lost her bit by bit, and that makes it so much more difficult to grieve. Because when she finally, you know, when her body finally died, we had already been grieving her loss. That's probably the closest real-life parallel we get to things like assimilation or being temporally rubber-banded. <sighs> so... <laughs> so poor Jake. He never had that opportunity. It, he opens the teaser by saying, my father died. Now, of course, 
this is, I, I've actually talked about this in my past, in your future, uh, when it comes to the episode Future Imperfect. The teaser in that episode starts with Riker being like, oh my god, good morning, Captain Riker, da-da-da-da, you know, and it's like, oh my god, and that's the hook, right, to get you interested in the episode. But it's always an interesting me, and I believe I commented on that in that episode again, I recorded that like last week, of the idea that obviously we know Cisco's not going to die, right? Like this is this is a regular non-serialized television show. We know that Cisco is going to be here next week and the week after that and the week after that. Uh, that's something we've actually kind of been getting away from in more modern television, where television is more willing to take risks like killing off a major character without warning or having permanent consequence be a thing. You know, that's a lot more common nowadays than it was back in the 90s or hell in most other histories of television in general. But I bring that up because it's still interesting because at that point it's not, oh God, what happened to Cisco? It's more like, okay, how will they get out of this, right? I do still sometimes wonder at that usage of that specific type of thing as a teaser because it's basically a cheat, isn't it? It's like, if I could, if, this is going to sound insulting, but it's like all those comic book covers. How many of you guys read or have read comic book in, in your lives at some point in time? How many of you can remember those ones where it's like, such and such character will die, or the death of such and such, or this time it's happening, no really, no take backs. And it wasn't, like, right? It, it wasn't their real death, or it was a fake thing. It was just a hook. It was just to get you to read the comic book. I sometimes feel that way about some of these teasers. You know what I mean? I'm not saying this is as cheap as those things, because those were super cheap. It's just, it's something that's always bothered me about Star Trek and television in general. So Cisco has this wonderful quote to Jake while Jake's writing. It's life. you got to poke your head up every now and again. You'll miss it if you don't open your eyes. Now, I like the scene where Jake shows up in the engineering room. You could just sort of tell that he, he, he didn't really have any solid reason for it. And Elder Jake obviously mentions that he didn't exactly have anything in his mind. He just happened to go with. And Cisco's like, ah, quick, give me that tool. And Jake's like, okay, hang on, let me find the tool. I like that Cisco just looks up and immediately is just like, all right, I need this, let's go. <laughs> he doesn't yell at him, he doesn't say get out, he's just like, find me this tool, I got work to do. I hate to speculate on this now, but between the fact that Jake more or less suspiciously decided to go with him and the fact that later on he and Jake interact without temporal interaction, I'm saying this wrong, Later on in the episode, he and Jake end up in the white space, which is actually the same set and room they used for uh, Tapestry over on TNG. Now, I'm not saying Q was involved. I'm saying the Prophets were involved. No, really, think about it. Two very convenient things had to happen to really push this episode, the events of this episode forward. Jake had to be present, and then Jake and Sisko had to have a period of time out of time in order to discuss things, in order to lead things going forward. You can't tell me the prophets wouldn't care about that, especially given their interest in the Cisco, and you can't tell me that their non-temporal methods might not lead them to seeing this kind of weird wraparound loop thing. Because remember, Cisco remembers all of these events. They stick with him. So this is now a part of him. So even though that timeline was either destroyed, if this is type 2 time travel, um, or is another time stream now, another timeline, if this is type 3 time travel, which it probably is, given that this is Star Trek, then you can't tell me the prophets wouldn't be cognizant of that and be able to interact appropriately. That being said, I'm not saying they're directly involved, more like they saw what was happening and was like, oh, well, let's do this then, because that's what's supposed to happen. That kind of a thing. 
So, he dies. Notice they talk a little bit about the AU here. The Star Trek AU? I don't know. Where we've got a whole situation, the Bajorans and the Cardassians team up. That's funny. Um, although the Cardassians did just get the snot kicked out of them, so whatever. The Klingons took ownership of the station, and apparently a chunk of the quadrant, since they need permission to go into that area later on from the Klingons. And that's it. The Dominion never does anything in like 70 years or however long it is, 50 years, something like that. It's, it's quite a while. The Dominion never does anything in all that period of time, which I find very interesting and probably a little bit misdirecting, if I'm being honest. We also learn a couple other little details. Uh, Quark finally buys his moon. Uh, Nog not only succeeds at going through the Academy, but gets promoted all the way up to Commander. That's pretty impressive. Um, there's there's the implication that Bashir and Dax end up together, which is funny in its own right. Morn is now running the bar. There are a couple other things, 3D controls. There are a couple other little things throughout it, just little uh, tidbits. I find, find myself wondering how much of that was them trying to predict where the show was going and them just playing around with it. Given that Deep Space Nine has a long-standing trend of not writing out where they want the story to go, it wouldn't surprise me if this was just them playing around a bit. So, it gets to this point where <laughs> there's actually a really human scene where Quark allows Nog to hang out with Jake just because Quark obviously gives a damn. It's a nice little touch, and it once again helps to flesh out Quark a little bit. But then Cisco comes back. This is the second time he's come back now, and they, they rush him to the infirmary. And, you know, Cisco's like, so how are you doing? And Jake can't even react. Can't even say anything in response. He bursts into into just sobs and collapses on his father's chest. Which rather adequately explains the answer to that question, I imagine. Then they try to save him. Then they fail to save him, and then Jake is left alone again. Notice that, again, functionally speaking, Jake has just lost his father twice now. So, <laughs> having done so... Um, we cut forward a little bit in the episode. There's there's some good stuff here. Again, I just don't have too much to say about some of the specifics. But I do want to talk, talk about one thing. Now, let me make this clear. I like this episode. This episode evoked significant emotional reaction in me. I want to talk about something about that really quick, too, and I want to talk about Tony Todd, who is awesome. It Tony Todd has always been awesome. He has been such an amazing introduction to Star Trek. He's only played three roles over the year. Only three. Kern, Jake, and the Alpha Herogen. And yet all three of them have been absolutely phenomenal in all of his presentations. He is a really good actor, and I like him in other stuff too. And he absolutely nails this role. As always, whenever I start to do a rumination, whether Monday, Tuesday, or a Friday rumination, I always sit down and do a little bit of research first. And when I say a little bit, I mean as much as I am po it is possible for me to do. Deep Space Nine is kind of difficult. I have less information sources for Deep Space Nine than I do most other sources. Um, you know, I've, I've got you know, the behind-the-scenes book there. I've got the, the per-episode guide right there. I've got Memory Alpha over there. And I've got a couple of magazines from the era, most of which were covering Voyager at this point in history. So I don't actually have nearly as much as I do, for example, with TNG or I had with Voyager. But... I never knew until I started doing the research for this episode that Tony Todd had actually lost his aunt just a few months prior to the recording of this episode. That he had... that she died. 
and that he was still recovering. He was still in mourning over this. Obviously, of course he was. And then he was asked to do this episode, and he apparently flung himself into it. And I would like to think that at least some of his presentation was not acting, if you know what I mean. I mean, sure, he was saying the words, but I think a lot of the emotion that came through was Tony Todd's legitimate emotion. And I wouldn't be surprised if at least some of that is because of, is, is why this episode has the power and impact that it does. But as much as I love this episode, I never shy away from critiquing something. And this episode, I've actually used this as an example before of what I hate about this concept. So I, I'm, I'm going to run you through an analogy really quick, okay? I like to use food analogies because food is one of the closest things to a total human constant that applies across the board. So I want you to imagine you're sitting down at a meal. And this meal is great. Not just good. This isn't just a satisfying, enjoyable meal. This is like, oh my god, this food is so good. And it's just, oh, and you're just savoring it, enjoying it. And, and, and then like you, you, you bite down on something and what the hell? There's a rusty nail in the middle of whatever you're eating. And, ah, what the hell? This concept is something that's bothered me as a critique, critic, reviewer, analyzer, dissector of fiction since I was a kid. It's when something is otherwise great and then something just comes out of nowhere and is really awful and then it goes back to being great. It's more jarring because the rest of it is so good. It's why, it be, it's why so many people in my experience tend to be extra critical of certain things because the rest of the work was great, right? So, one of the things I've been critique, uh, critiquing about television in general and Star Trek in specific for uh, ever, is the idea of the commercial break. Da, 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 da. Now I know I've brought this up a couple of times. In fact, I'm almost positive I have referenced this exact episode when I have brought this up a few times in the past. But in the off chance you haven't seen my Voyager stuff or my TNG stuff, it's the concept of we need to make sure the customer, as to say the viewer, comes back after the commercial break. We need to make sure they stay here. And there's, and it's not an omnipresent thing. It's not a constant thing. You know, it's not like the, every single episode, every single commercial break has this thing. But every now and again it shows up. And sometimes it's okay. And then sometimes it's not. But I bring this specific episode up because this might actually be the most egregious and awful example of the da-da-da-da that I have ever seen in Star Trek. Tony Todd is there, being awesome. And he says, you see... I'm dying. And then the music swells. I wish I could just show you this, but obviously, you know, YouTube is YouTube. So, you know, the music swells, and it cuts to black. Now, this is even more egregious watching this on the DVD, because there's no commercial break. So, after the swell, it comes back, word for word. You must understand that when a person my age says they're dying, he's only admitting to the inevitable. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, I know I'm going to get negative comments about that. I know for certainty that people are going to yell at me for finding this so bothersome. But it's such a cheap trick to be like, you understand, I'm dying. Da -da -da -da. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? I remember being bothered by this as a kid when I was watching these episodes for the first time. In fact... True story. This this little this specific instance of this bothered me so much that it wasn't until the second time I saw the visitor that I realized how good of an episode it was because it threw me completely out of the moment. I'm like, oh god, Jake's dying too now. Oh, he's not dying. He's just really. 
I'm done. Moving on. <sighs> so, so then we see a nice scene with Commander Nog, and everything's great. And he's with his wife, and everything's great. Cisco shows up. This is probably the most cruel of all of the instances, because at this point in time, Jake has moved on. He has done that grieving process I talked about earlier. He has moved it back to the to the dull ache in the back of his mind, in the back of his heart, like I was talking about earlier. He's done it. He's got his life, he's got his writing career, he's got his wife. Cisco shows up again. All those old wounds are right there, just like they always were. And he, oh my God, he feels so guilty. I can't believe, how dare I go on and try and just live my life while my dad was in trouble. So, then he goes to try and fix things. And as he goes trying to fix things, well, he loses his life. This is one of the parts of the episode that I've noticed no one else has commented on. Because I've heard many, many people for years, even just friends, never mind like YouTubers or reviewers or, you know, whatever. But I've heard even just friends comment on the suicide that happens at the end of the episode. And I'll talk about that too. But what nobody comments on is the fact that after this incident, Jake Sisko's life dies. He keeps going. He continues to exist. He continues to have what I would term to qualify as existence. But his life is gone. He loses his wife, he loses his focus, he stops writing, he starts focusing on trying to get this done. Probably obsessively, if we're being honest with ourselves. Well, though we don't know, because we don't see that. And then, what's funny is I wrote this down here. It's an interesting dilemma, isn't it? Because you now know the problem, at least to some extent or another, and by the unique circumstances of science fiction, you have years to fix it. And yet the irony is, once those years come to fruition, you only have minutes to make that fix actually work. Right? It's, it's the unique circumstance of having tons and tons of time, and then having no time at all. I believe Gandalf made a quote about that. Also, if I might say really quick, one little interesting thing is that each time Cisco shows up, especially by the time he's Tony Todd, he's not interested in fixing it. He's not interested in solving the situation. Cisco just wants to know how his son's doing. What's your life been like? How have things been? Who's this? Is this your wife? Do I have any grandkids? You can almost see how this is, in a really strange way, kind of a treat for Cisco, Because, well, he is getting a, what it would be perceived as a guaranteed insight into his son's life, past the point where he might have no longer been a part of it. So Jake, of course, you know, goes off and, and tries his one last chance to rescue Cisco. And they end up in the white space. I've already given my profit thoughts on that. And, you know, let go of me, Jake. You have to let go. You, you still have a life left. Promise me. You'll notice Jake does not promise that. And so he finally finishes reciting his tale to Melanie. And I like the euphemism they use for suicide. They say he's going to cut the cord. Because it's a direct euphemism. It doesn't actually have to do with killing him, per se. He is going to cut his father's temporal signature free by cutting the cord. We actually saw right at the beginning of the episode he was still taking that I'm going to die stuff. And in, in fact, the fact that he's already taken the I'm going to die stuff, whatever it is, we don't need to know. And then Melanie showed up is probably a lot of why he decided to talk to her about it. Funnily enough, if this is type 2 time travel, she may or may not have ever existed. And... History was utterly rewritten, obviously. If this is type 3 time travel, then nothing matters and who cares about anything. 
One of the things I like about science fiction is it allows, and fiction in general really, but science fiction in particular, is it allows us to do stories like this. Because take a step back and look at the premise for a second. A father is leaping forward in time by years at a time. For him, it's seconds. If we actually track it, it's been a few minutes throughout the course of the whole episode for Cisco since the initial accident. Like maybe 20 minutes on the outside. It's not a long period of time to go through like 60 years or whatever. But as he's going forward, he gets to see little snippets, tiny little brief glimpses and windows into the life of those around him, including most specifically his son. And because of the science fiction nature of this, not only is this something we can reverse, but he is specifically always being pulled in wherever Jake is, which means he's always going to find out about the future in a way that matters to him. Imagine if he just kept showing up on The, the Defiant, for example. Like, imagine Cisco pops in and The Defiant's in mothballs and nobody's even there to notice him. So he's just like, what the hell? And he just hangs around for a couple minutes wondering what's going on before he vanishes again. But no, instead he shows up with Jake each time, someone who is directly connected to him in an emotional and metaphysical sense, obviously. So then, like I said, Jake kills himself. <laughs> like I said, many, many other people have commented on this, and I don't even know what else I can add to the argument. Jake decides to sacrifice his life to commit suicide in the hopes that he will be able to salvage the life of the child that he was and the father that he lost. And I love that because it is what would usually be considered a worthy sacrifice. He is laying down his life in the hopes that it will restore them, in the hopes that it will restore the opportunity for a better life and for a better future, for more than one person, no less. And many would consider that a very noble and honorable goal. It's almost horrible if you think about it, because he didn't really know it would work. Thank goodness it did work. And of course, Cisco had like a second to react, to jump out of the way. Thank goodness Cisco's reactions were on par. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, having to go through that again as Cisco. So then he ends up back, back at the present. And once again, even though this is time travel, even though the reset button was hit, it kind of wasn't. And that's why I'm okay with this. That's why I'm, I like this approach to the it was a dream type of, of construction of script. Because it was, the reset button wasn't hit. Cisco remembered. He only got a few minutes, snippets of that other life and what happened to his son. But he, it stuck with him and would stick with him going forward. And now, maybe Jake and Cisco would have a chance at life and not just existence. I really liked this episode. And I, <laughs> I actually have just a little bit of a headache from tears. So I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this. I'll see you guys next time.